0: Hello and welcome to the Keys Podcast. My name is Adam Kadura. I'm your host by Trade and Training. I am a football coach as well as a former member of the Bay Area Sports Media. Today, we are going to talk all things defensive coordinator. Fired up for this episode, something that's been on my mind, something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. We're going to break it all down for you on the show. And what are we going to talk about first? We're going to talk about what it takes to be a great defensive coordinator and what the Niners are going to look for in their next defensive coordinator. So first off, what makes a great defensive coordinator? For me, first off, it's organization. You have to be organized from top to bottom, and it's not just, okay, you have some files in a filing cabinet. Listen, I worked under a defensive coordinator for seven years, and one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinators in the state, shout out to Josh Ramos, of Laney College. Uh, And under his tutelage, we were a top ranked defense every year. We led the state in 2022. We won a national championship in 2018. Every year we fielded top flight defenses. We have players in the NFL. We do defense very well at Laney College. And it only benefited me in the sense that I have learned so, so much. I mean, the last seven years have been like getting my PhD in football, it's felt like. From learning from a whole bunch of different coaches to learning from Coach Ramos, our D-line coach, Coach Coughlin, who is an absolute technician. Just like you hear about with the Niners and their defensive line coach. Our defensive line coach is an absolute technician at what he does, So great at getting our players to use incredible technique and to do it well and how to put a plan together to get a defensive lineman coming out of high school and how to get them to use the best technique possible. But organization is just, it's everything. It's not the only thing, it's everything. If you don't have a plan, you will be passed up by somebody else, meaning you will You could get by maybe with not being the most organized. But in my opinion, if you want to be the best, organization is everything. I mean, there is a plan from day one of the year all the way to the last day of the year. Day to day, how do you plan practice? How do you plan schematically throughout the course of a quote unquote league year to install a defense, to install philosophy? Who are you? as a person, as a defense, things of that nature. That kind of brings me up to my next point, leadership. Leadership, if you can't get the room to follow you, the room being the group of men in the room that are going to listen to you on a daily basis and believe and buy into what you're trying to preach in terms of philosophy, scheme, things of that nature, all the rest doesn't matter. You have to be all the way on top of your game, as a defensive coordinator in terms of knowing who you are. That's everything, and and I think that's where people who are not coaches probably don't appreciate guys like Pete Carroll as much as they should, and it's it's understandable. Listen, you're a fan. You're probably not going to read up on Pete Carroll, what he's about, things of that nature. I know he's a longtime Seahawks head coach. Generally, 49ers fans don't like the Seahawks, but You have to understand what that man has done for coaching in general. He has a book called Win Forever. I highly suggest whether you are a football coach or not to read it. Definitely something near and dear to my heart. I read it. It really reached out to me as a coach, really helped me as a coach early on. But the big thing he talks about in that book is finding your own philosophy, establishing your own philosophy within two to three sentences. It shouldn't be longer than that. Three sentences is is really long. If you can say who you are in, let's say one to three sentences, you've established a personal philosophy, something that guides everything you do. And you have to find out who you are as a coach in order to succeed. You have to be yourself. There are so many coaches out there that I, myself, and other coaches like to call parrots. They copy, they learn from a coach, they copy exactly everything they did. They don't really question whether they like everything they did or not. They just copy and paste. And it also relates to personality. If you're not yourself, your players will feel that, right? They they can tell if you're not being you. They could smell like sharks, smelling blood in the water. They can tell, if you are being you or not. So right from the jump, if you can't establish that, and if you can't be comfortable in your own skin, coaching football, it's going to be an uphill battle. So I think one of the things that coach Ramos does so well is he is, and it's something that's irreplicable and it's, it's unique to him is he has an incredible ability to command a room. Same thing with our head coach, coach beam, legendary coach in, in Oakland, Just incredible ability between the both of them to command a room, to get people to listen to them, to get players locked in and things of that nature. Now, when you're dealing with NFL players is very different. That is, it's a total different maturity level. Just plain and simple at the junior college level, you're dealing with kids that are learning to be adults, learning to be professionals. You have to teach them the way, you to show them the way. Most of the time, when you're in the pros, and as far as I've talked to, and I am fortunate to know a lot of coaches that have coached in the NFL, things of that nature. It is a business. These guys, for the most part, are showing up to the office ready to work in the NFL. They want to earn a paycheck. You as a coach want to earn a paycheck. It's a business, and most guys are not messing around when it comes to that. So when it comes to discipline and things of that nature, that's a lot less of an issue at that level. Now, you hear and see things in the news and things of that nature. And by and large, there's the and for sure there are guys that have issues off the field that's it's, it's been true throughout the course of NFL history. But for the most part, you're talking you have the 53-man roster plus practice squad players. They're locked in coming in the door because they want to earn a living. Unless they're a guy that's got a long-term contract, has secured the bag in a sense, getting paid lots of money. Outside of those guys, and hopefully those guys you do give the money to, are essentially role models, which is why the Niners have pretty much had very much continued success throughout the past couple of years is because they're paying guys who are great role, role models for the team. They're culture setters, guys like Fred Warner, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa. All these guys are not messing around, they're true professionals. So, when those are the guys that are really getting the bag, it sends a message to the people, to the players, if you will, that are under them. On the totem pole and says, Hey, if you want to get the bag here, then you have to act a certain way. You have to come in and be a professional, ready to work. So, in terms of command of a room and all those things that you need at the junior college level, you have to have such strong leadership skills, different leadership skills, I should say. It's different. And we'll just leave it at that. We can go on and on about the subtle little nuances. So next thing on the list I would say is clear and concrete scheme. Your playbook has got to be polished, your playbook has to be complete, it's got to be easy to teach. You got to have support staff around you and it's really Now, don't get this twisted. No one man in my opinion can do it alone as a defensive coordinator. There ain't enough time in the day to hop around from position group to position group and get into the nitty gritty, make sure everything's buttoned up. There is a supreme level of trust between the defensive coordinator and the position coaches to, you know, from a defensive coordinator standpoint, you have to trust your position coach to be a guru of their position they have their PhD in that position. They know how to install the defense, teach the defense effectively. Not everybody can do that. And they have great command over the room. So it's really, it takes a whole unit, a whole staff, all the way down to the assistance of the position coaches. Everybody needs to be on their game. And so back to the main point, your scheme has to make sense. There's got to be, no holes in the coverages in the run fits and listen when I say no holes in the coverage every coverage has a quote unquote hole in it from the standpoint that every coverage gives something up there is no coverage unless you're dropping eight on every play and you're talking about the Niners they have a 4-3 that's not even possible unless you're dropping a D lineman most Coverage, 95% of coverage called, maybe even higher, probably even higher, has something they're planning to give up because every coverage has a weakness and it's all about taking calculated risk in what coverage you're running and running at the right time against the right concept and having the right plan in place. But just being very clear, very straightforward with what you're teaching, we talked about Fred Warner on the previous podcast, it was either one of the two shows. Maybe it was talking about Wilkes, but it's probably that first episode talking about Wilkes. But an issue that arose during the season was some questions about how the linebackers fit in the scheme and stuff like that. That cannot happen at the NFL level. It's really a lot of this information that's coming out is very confusing to me. I'm going to be very honest because on one hand, you have... People telling me that Wilkes ran Shanahan's system, which I believe because he came in, didn't have any of his assistants to come with him. And let me tell you, that is no small issue. As a defensive coordinator, you've likely had assistants that have been with you for years. Not not, not just, you know, you go DC here, oh, you get a new assi- For years, you've probably had certain assistants follow you from school to school or franchise to franchise because those are the people you trust those are the people you worked with those are the people you have built that rapport with to where you trust them to install the scheme you trust them to teach the technique you trust how they're doing things you know you don't have to second guess what they're doing and that just makes it a more well-oiled machine so for Wilkes to come to San Francisco first of all that was a huge risk on Wilkes part right everybody likes to throw the blame at the Niners and whatnot and rightfully so in certain ways but listen, Steve Wilkes knew he was, I'm sorry, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I am going into a situation where I'm not running my scheme, I am not bringing my assistants with me, I know there's risk involved. There's a high level of risk, high, high level of risk, because you don't have your PhD in that system. You don't. It's not your system. You don't know it forwards and backwards, and that, and that is so crucial to being a great defensive coordinator you have to know your stuff your scheme your plan like the back of your hand no hesitation you could do it in your sleep you have to be like that and if you're not it leads to confusion which is why i guess i'm not totally surprised that there were issues and disconnect and things of that nature you rewind it even further and it brings the question of why in the world wouldn't the Niners just hire in-house like they have been doing? Why would they bring somebody externally? So maybe we'll tackle that whole separate issue later in the episode. The next thing for me is a deep understanding of offense as well as defense. Some of the very best coordinators, and in my opinion, to be the best coordinator you have to have a deep understanding of offense. And usually, to some degree, that means coaching it yourself. If you can be a DC that has a resume of you also coached offense and were on the offensive side of the ball, huge advantage. Because now you know to a deeper degree than maybe some of your counterparts how an offensive coordinator's mind works. And that pays Dividends in the long run, so not always possible at the professional level. I assume it's that much harder because you pigeonhole yourself probably early in a defensive role. It is incumbent on you at that point to do your homework and do your research and meet with offensive coaches and and put that those long hours into understanding offense because if you don't it's that much harder it just feels like it's a blind spot in your overall view of a game plan you should put together because you're just not seeing the whole picture you're not seeing the why behind maybe an offense is doing things a certain way you might get reports that tell you an offense is doing things a certain way there are certain trends in an offense that in an opponent you're trying to face, and you can't quite make sense of them because you don't have that background and you can't think like an offensive coordinator. So it is a huge advantage. You need to understand why offenses run what they run, what the goal is. And you, but larger than that, you need to understand offensive techniques so you can use it against them. And that, my friends, is the chess that is being played behind the scenes. Uh, football is, it's cliche to say, but it it is chess on a grass field or turf field, if you will, for me, not just because like the complexity and things like that, but if you look at the strategy of chess itself, oh, it's absolutely in line with what, what great football is all about and coaching great football is all about. What I'm trying to say is that to be a great chess player, you have to understand what your opponent's doing. You have to understand what their plan is, how they're trying to do it, what what their end goal is. And then when you understand that, you could use it against them. It's also chess in a sense that if you do things properly as a defensive coordinator, you are dictating the tempo, not the offense. That's the highest level of being a defensive coordinator. You are setting the tempo now, not the offense. You are dictating what they're trying to do not the offense. Once the offense has got you in rhythm and they're in their tempo and they're doing what they want to, that is when things start to get ugly for a defense. So that back and forth, that is really what's meant by it behind the chess of football. Next up on the list, we have a deep understanding of technique within the scheme. This is everything. I've probably said it a few times in this episode and I stress the importance of all these things I, I've talked about, but it all comes together. It is all part of the bigger machine that is being a defense coordinator where you take one part out of the machine. Now things start to fall apart a little bit. Technique is so, so vital and critical within a scheme being a guru of each position and how technique is taught in the D-line, in the linebackers safeties, corners, they all have a specific, very nuanced technique within the system you're trying to run if it is going to be an effective system. For example, the D-line, what is their foundational technique in terms of striking an offensive lineman? Hand placement, extension, where are their eyes? Do you believe in this hand placement or that hand placement? Those are all things you need to be a guru of because, again, if the D-line is not playing with great technique, it doesn't matter what system you run. It doesn't matter what playbook you have. If you don't have the technique to match, it's going to get ugly real fast. It's all going to start to break down and fall apart. It's really the whole thing is sensitive. One thing could lead to the whole thing collapsing on its head, essentially. Problem-solving ability and real-time processing are very important traits for a defensive corner. What do I mean by that? Defense is about solving problems. One of the first things that I was taught as a coach at Laney College was defense is about solving problems. A little background, back in 2018, that was my first year coaching college football And I got pulled on the defensive side of the ball as an assistant. I didn't get a position group right away, which was to my maximum benefit because I was then allowed to learn so, so, so much that then allowed me to have success once I got my own position group. But problem solving ability is everything because each opponent presents a new problem. And to rephrase that, a new puzzle that you have to solve in order to have success. And that's really the fun of it. So when I first got into it, I was like, oh, offense, yeah, you know, West Coast offense, four verticals, whatever. I went from wanting to coach offense to I could not imagine coaching anything else besides defense because it is so much dang fun to try and solve an offense, try to understand what they're doing, trying to plan for what they're doing. That is such a, for me, um, and everybody else who coaches defense, it is a very stimulating process and rewarding. It's very fun to try to, it's, you know, every offense from the offense you see every day on the other side of the ball within your own team to the offense that you're going to face on game day. That's where, the sort of addicting qualities of coaching come into play the more film you watch the more you understand i've been a part of games where we were able to call out 80% of the plays on the other side of the ball we were so locked in we're so dialed into what the that offense was doing we were able to call it out before the play happened whether it be by formation or there was a tell on the other side of the ball, things of that nature. When you have sort of cracked the code on an offense, it's a very rewarding feeling. But things often don't go as planned on the defensive side of the ball. You go into every game understanding that there are things maybe you haven't seen before. As much as you could practice, as much as you could prepare, you can only prepare for what you've seen on film. So put yourself in Steve Wilks' shoes. You have watched all the film two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. You've watched all the film you can. You broke down all the reports. You've had other coaches watch just as much film as you have, and you've seen everything you could possibly see. And then you step into the game, and Andy Reid runs plays that are killing you that you have never seen before. You have to... Have a plan in the moment. You have to problem solve in the moment. What's your plan? What's your counter? How are we going to counteract this? What are you going to tell the guys? So to make this more clear, on each drive, the defensive coordinator is evaluating what is going on in the game and just searching for problems. Because if there's not a problem, then things are going well. Then we're not giving up points. Searching for any potential problems, even if the game is going well you search for problems because as an offensive coordinator adjusts at halftime or adjusts throughout the game in the first half, they could kind of evaluate as an offensive corner, what is working and then go heavier on that in the second half. So if you see a problem, you ignore the problem Cardinal sin as a defensive corner, as a defensive coach, you have to solve problems even when things are going well in that sense. The real-time processing. What do I mean by real-time processing? How do I come up with a defensive call? There is a whole algorithm, if you will, that goes into a defensive play call. Each and every call is not just by accident. It's not a guess. It is planned for and accounted for. And what might lead to a plan of that nature. What might, what am I talking about? And how does a defensive coordinator come up with a call on a given play? Generally speaking, the offensive formation, the down and distance, the time of game, and the score go into the input it, that is the algorithm. And that's the input. The output is the call. This formation plus this... Down distance plus this score and time of game, that all equals a call for that situation that has been prepared on the defensive call sheet ahead of time, days in advance of the game, so that when the moment comes and the situation comes that you've seen and prepared for, you have it right on your sheet, bam, I'm calling that, and you don't even think twice. You have to understand as a defensive coordinator, the offense is 40 seconds to call play. Right? They have 40 seconds to do whatever they want. As long as they get the ball off within 40 seconds, they're fine. Nothing is rushing the offense outside of the play clock or the game clock. But as a defense, you might have five seconds to get a call in because you are at the mercy of the offense. They could go no huddle. They could go tempo. You might only have five to 10 seconds that you get to see the formation before you get a call in or have adjustments within the call. Now, does every defense do it that way? No. You could have a base call and then there are adjustments built in based on the formation, what things are happening. One more thing the call could be based off is the hash mark that the ball is on. I would say 90 plus percent of the time it's on a hash. It's not in the middle of the field. And that also tells a part of the story. Oftentimes, when you break down a game and you break it down by formation, you break it down by time of the game, score, call, all these things, you can start to discover trends within an offense. And even the most complicated of offenses, you can discover trends. They like to run the ball more on first down. Let's say they're in 11 personnel on third down, maybe third and medium, they are more likely to run the ball. These are all clues, if you will, that Every player should know going into a game and creates this bigger overall sense of awareness of what could potentially happen. And that's where being a student of the game, watching a lot of film, getting a heartbeat for what they're trying to do offensively, that is where the film study really plays a factor. The more you do it, the more comfortable you are with facing that offense, the more you can just play freely because you have a very great confidence of what is going to happen. All right. So we've talked about what makes a great DC. Now, what are the Niners looking for in their next defensive coordinator? And I don't know if I'm going to list everything. I will probably end the show and think of more things, but these are the things that I came up with. I would say, first of all, it's gotta be a defensive coordinator that the veterans approve of the Niners defensive meeting room consists of a lot of older guys, guys that have been in the league, guys that know what it takes to be successful, have been part of successful defenses, have been to the Super Bowl, a few of them twice now. So that is a very, very well-established room. Very, very, very firm culture in that room. If they bring in a defensive coordinator that doesn't mesh with the guys... Now, most defensive coordinators, you know, I I would say it's very rare that any defense coordinator just straight up doesn't mesh. The players hate the DC, whatever it is. At the end of the day, again, it's a business. They're trying to collect a paycheck and go home and get the bag and things like that. No matter who it is, I'd imagine those veterans are going to stand behind John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan's decision and get with the program because they want to win a title, they want to win a Super Bowl, they want to keep performing well so they can keep getting paid, things of that nature. So if they're not in love with who the defensive coordinator is as a person, that can be put to the side. That being said, if you can get a DC that they are excited about, that they're behind, that they support, it does a lot for the camaraderie. Uh, for the team chemistry, things of that nature, and it's all for the better. So ideally you want somebody the veterans would approve of. Now, what does that mean on a deeper level? There's been a lot of candidates that have, you know, some big time names that have been dropped on out there in the discourse. I don't see and John Lynch has reiterated this I don't see them changing completely what they do. I see them sticking to their identity and what has made them successful. Again, defense wasn't the reason they lost the Super Bowl. Could they have played better in the clutch moments? I think so. I think the offense also should have put up more points on the board. It is what it is. But that being said, in football, generally, you want to stick to who you are and what makes you successful and your foundation, kind of like a house, right? You've established that foundation, who you are, what makes you successful. You don't want to deviate it. You don't want to redo the foundation. And that foundation seems to be the 4-3 defense. What is a 4-3 defense? It's four down linemen, so 4-D linemen with their hand in the ground, and three linebackers behind them. That is the most fundamental Easiest way to say what a four-three is. By contrast, a three-four, and it, it's not just only four-three or three-four. There are other ways to do it as well, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But from a base defense perspective, you usually don't. You usually see four-three or three-four, and three-four being three down linemen, four linebackers, usually two in the middle and then two overhang type backers. Which is why candidates like Bill Belichick for a number of reasons other than this one, I just I just don't see it happening. I would love, if it were up to me, I would really have a hard time not giving a phone call to Bill Belichick to see if he just wants to be a part of the organization in some capacity. But for many reasons that's very unrealistic, Chief among them is he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, deserves his respect, and has his, let's be honest, his own ego about being a head coach. It is not easy for a head coach to that, who is especially somebody who's considered the greatest of all time, somebody who is been both a GM and a head coach going from the Patriots where Bill Belichick ran the whole ordeal there, the whole operation to now just run the defense. By the way, Bill, you can't bring your system. you got to run our system. That's a non-starter right from the jump. You can't bring any of your assistants. You got to use our assistants. That's also a non-starter. I just it, it's no wonder we haven't even heard so much as a phone call because I don't think Bill Belichick would even answer if he, knew, if he knew beforehand those were the terms. Because asking Bill Belichick to be a defensive corner at this point in his career is a huge leap for him downward. It's a huge blow to his own ego because now he's got to take orders from somebody who is much younger than him and Kyle Shanahan. I mean, is Kyle Shanahan going to yell at Bill Belichick? I don't think so. I, I, and I think Kyle Shanahan doesn't want to do that, which is why there's so many reasons why it wouldn't work. That being said, if it were me, I'm absolutely giving him a call. Why? Because he, to me, is the one defensive coordinator I know can give me an advantage, a competitive edge in a clutch situation such as the Super Bowl, in terms of call making certain calls, right? That's the appeal to me. He is on that level of spagnolo. He is the greatest defensive mind of all time. Him and Saban are on the Mount Rushmore of defensive minds for me and most coaches for a number of reasons. And if we dive into all of them, we'll be here all night, that is for sure. So you got to stick with the 4-3. And for me, I think I really wanted to start this podcast to demystify what are the advantages of the 4-3, four, 3-4? Three, three, four? Like why why this, why this, or, or the other? Now, personnel-wise, the Niners are built for the 4-3. They've been a 4-3 for quite a while now. To go to a 3-4 base, you would have to change the technique they've been playing with. It can be done. But is it comfortable? Absolutely not. It is gonna keep is gonna flip everybody on their toes. You would have to get different personnel in the building. Who's gonna be the overhang linebackers? Because in most 3-4s, there are at least two overhangs. Sometimes you can you can switch one of the overhangs for a safety and play with personnel that way. You can kind of recreate a four three look using one. I'm not gonna go get into it too much. Um, but listen. One thing I will say, Bill Belichick, he believes in the 3-4. I'm a 3-4 guy as well. That is what my expertise is in. But, you know, I've also coached in a 4-3 and things of that nature. A 4-3 has a very specific technique set that goes along with it. Specific technique for the D-line, for the backers, things of that nature. There are a lot of things that are transferable, 3-4 to 4-3, depending on the system. And most defenses, or there's definitely a lot of systems out there where they're multiple, right? They can maybe consider themselves base 4-3, but they can jump into 3-4. They can jump into a 4-2-5. That's another. Front you can jump into. Four down linemen, two linebackers, five DBs. That's usually situational. But if we're talking about winning a Super Bowl now, this year, which is the goal with the Niners, you stick to what you know, stick to what got you there. Get back in the dance. The whole goal is to get back to the Super Bowl, give you a chance to win the Super Bowl. And for my money, if you change the philosophy, the coverage, the the technique, and you, you do a complete overhaul, that could lead to a lot of bumps in the road that could hinder you from getting a top seed in the regular season because you're adjusting to this new system. You're spending all this time and energy adjusting to new technique, new system, new coverage, all these things. So that being said, stick to what works. You're a top defense. Fix the little issues like run fits, and you are going to be a very good defense, and that's what the Niners need. The new DC has to have comprehensive knowledge of problems within their system and solutions for the run fits. So just like in chess, for every plan that you might have, No matter if you are a beginner or a grandmaster, there's always a counter. There's always a weakness. There's always a way to break down the plan that you have in place. You have to know what the issues are within your own scheme, forwards and backwards. And I think, again, that's where the disconnect comes into play with Steve Wilkes, because he's running a system he doesn't know and is not familiar with so he doesn't know the the problems and the solutions as well. He doesn't know the assist the as well. All that being said, he did a phenomenal job. All things considered, the defense. Listen, if anything we could take away from this, I can't hold anything against Steve Wilkes. I really can't. You know, would I like to see better pressures called in certain situations? Do I th- disagree with uh, the way he did pressures? Yes, but other than that. I really thought he did a good job given what he had to work with, the circumstances. And lastly, you got to have, again, my biggest thing with the 49ers defense last year was there was not enough disguised pressures. You knew when pressure was coming. As we saw with Spagnolo in the Super Bowl, what does great defense consist of? It consists of you don't know where the pressure is coming from. You don't know what look you're going to get. You can't. There's no way you can feel comfortable going against a Steve Spagnuolo defense because they hold disguise so well. They mix it up when it comes to pressures. They run pressures that make sense. And listen, one thing I've always told my linebackers and we've, you know, I've you know, drawn up blitzes a number of times. I I've, I've installed blitzes and pressures. I've come up with my own pressures myself that we've run in games. For me, the the pressure, an effective pressure, is all in the details. It's not you go in this gap, you go that gap, and we're all hunky-dory. Somebody is going to get home. That is not good enough. You have to design pressure to create a numbers advantage. What do I mean by a numbers advantage? In the most basic sense, let's say the offense lines up in empty. What is empty? They have five receivers. Nobody in the backfield but the quarterback and just five offensive linemen. When we face empty, a numbers advantage is if we send six to get home the quarterback, one must get free because it is six against five, right? Now, offenses have ways to counteract that. It's not as simple as you're just going to get home. They could slide protect and plan. For things of that nature the quarterback can know where the free runner is going to come from so he can anticipate throw to the hot get the ball out quickly there's a whole game within the game on that front with hot routes versus pressure pressure looks things of that nature but when you're running stunts how do you free up guys in what gaps do you free them up how closely do you pay attention to pass protections and how they're run who is the weak link in the pass protection How do we target them, exploit them? Based on their formation, how can we disguise blitzes so that they don't see pressure coming and then run coverages behind them that make sense, that are concrete, that the DBs are comfortable in? Listen, every time you send pressure, you are putting the DBs at a disadvantage. You are taking from the allocation of coverage and putting into what's allocated towards getting the quarterback you are putting the DBs at a disadvantage, and that means execution as at an all time premium. So if they're not you know if there's confusion or there's there's not a sound scheme coverage behind the pressure, that could lead to an explosive play immediately and oftentimes does. So what makes Spagnuolo so great is he sends all this pressure and has such great concrete scheme behind it, plus it's really personnel based at the root of it. He gets really good personnel in there to execute the vision. And that's, again, one thing I kind of didn't mention earlier is you have this vision, you have your philosophy, you have all these things. Now you have to put the pieces on the field. It is, again, said this before, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's. It's not about X's and O's. It's about the talent on the field and their ability to carry out your vision, your plan. If they can't do it, a bad result is going to happen. So You might have this vision, like I said, and this is where the disconnect with Belichick would come in. I have a vision for a 3-4, but we do not have a personnel base or we don't have personnel to run a 3-4, so it's not going to work as well, right? You have to put guys with the right skill set to run what you want to run, from how fast they are, from you know, their size, things of that nature. I could tell you at Laney College, we want speed at the inside backer position. We value speed so much because we want inside backers who can run sideline to sideline. And you see that in the NFL. Guys like Fred Warner, who run four or five forties, are at a premium because they're not going to get outflanked because they can catch up if the if the if we're going full flow again that means the ball's going outside of the tackles can we run can we use our speed can we get around blocks can we maneuver things of that nature so you have to have as well you know to add to the list so to speak of you got to have that technique well you have to have put guys in great positions to carry out that technique and play to their strengths and be realistic with what personnel you have. If there's a disconnect between the scheme and the people you have running the scheme and and they're not able to carry out your vision, problems. We got problems, right? So that is the extent of what I would look for in the Niners next defensive coordinators. Those are just a few things. I think ultimately, if we're up to me in this case. What makes most sense without any context of knowing things from the inside, from a very surface level perspective, one might say, is you have to go for the in-house hire here. That is my firm opinion. You go with the in-house, a voice the players know and respect, a voice that you respect, a person you trust to carry out the vision for what you want. And when I say you, it's it's Kyle Shanahan, what Kyle Shanahan wants. If he doesn't hire in-house, and this is purely speculation, but it does say something about his opinion or how he views his assistants. And it's nothing against the assistants, but some position coaches are meant to just always be position coaches. The 49ers D-line coach, Chris Kosarik, I've seen his name um, online being thrown into the hat, so to speak, if you will. I don't think they've interviewed him. And people are sort of clamoring for him to maybe be the next defensive coordinator. My gut feeling, just knowing and having been around coaches, is that he is a guru of the D-line position. He is has a PhD in, in D-line. That is what he does. That's what he breathes, eats, and sleeps. The same might not be true for his knowledge of coverage, coverage technique, overall scheme, things of that nature. He probably does. He's probably been around the game long enough to know so those certain things, but that's not quite his strength. And in a defensive coordinator, you need somebody who has overall knowledge, which is why a linebacker's coach usually makes a lot of sense because linebackers are connected to both the fit— the uh, the front seven, they're also connected to the back end in coverage. They're kind of the happy medium, if you will. Whereas a DB's coach is really his PhD, his expertise is the back end. Not so much concerned about what the front seven's doing, the fit and things of that nature and the technique the D-line's playing with, things of that nature. So with Kosarik again, probably a non-starter for Shanahan. Didn't want to go that route. So I think maybe he has a bunch of assistant coaches on the defensive side of the ball who are really, really good at the niche things that they're trying to do and their position group, but that maybe are not the best fit for the overall teaching, the overall scheme, the overall vision, being a defensive coordinator, thinking like a defensive coordinator. Maybe that's not their best fit. That's what an outside hire would tell me if that is indeed the case, and then that is indeed what happens here in the next week. It's not to say that Coach Shanahan doesn't trust his defensive assistants, but again, he knows their strengths, he knows what they're what they're good at, where they're best suited, and that is the job of the head coach to put guys in positions to succeed, whether it's the coaching staff or the players. So we'll see. I I think if you've got to person in the building who you believe has a great understanding of the vision, what they're trying to do and be as defensive coordinator, then you go that route. You go with the internal hire. But last off season they had the, the ability to do that. They didn't. So that's what that tells me is they've got a bunch of guys who are have high level expertise at their position but not a candidate for something like a defensive coordinator. So very interesting to see where this goes. Guys like Mike Vrabel are out there. Pete Carroll is out there. They interview Brandon Staley. Maybe Shanahan and Staley have a good relationship, things of that nature. Shanahan might believe he can carry out the vision. So we'll see. And that's kind of what these interview processes are for, is trying to, as a head coach, being Kyle Shanahan, dive deep into how these guys think, each candidate thinks, what their plan would be, what their vision is, how they would integrate with the system and the personnel that they have and things of that nature. So it will be very interesting to see. Like I said, would go with the internal candidate before up to me. But again, I don't know those position coaches like Coach Shanahan. Now, on the outside, who do I like? You know, Brandon Staley is another one where he was used to running a 3-4, so a different scheme and things of that nature. So very interesting. So if you have to go with, uh, and let's just assume everybody's available, because we can talk about all the things we talked about. The dream hires Belichick. Why? Because he is a guru of all things defense. There isn't anything about defense that guy doesn't know. He does, there's not one technique that guy doesn't know. There's not one scheme fit. He has seen every problem you could possibly see over the last 40 years when it comes to defense. He would be more than capable of coming in and adapting to whatever the Niners wanted to do. That being said, again, I can't help it, but this is also going on Belichick's resume too, right? So if Belichick comes in and runs a system he doesn't like and it doesn't turn out well, well, that's on Belichick's resume. And if I'm playing my cards as Belichick, more than likely next offseason, somebody's gonna make the call. At some point, somebody is going to call me up and ask for my services and pay the top dollar that I'm looking for and also be in the right situation. That is that if I just sit at home and and take a year off and things of that nature, that's kind of a given, right? I go to the Niners, things don't go well. That's only going to tank my stock. So unless I just can't live without coaching football for a year, I really, again, I really don't see, as much as I'd want it to happen, can't see Belichick happening. Other than that, I think Pete Carroll would be a phenomenal hire as well because everything the Niners do defensively is based on the Seattle system. Robert Sala was a Seattle disciple. And so that would be pretty seamless. Plus, you know the defensive guys would be hyped to play for a guy like Pete Carroll. Oh, it would be so fun. As a Niners fan, I know it's tough. You probably don't like him too much because he was the Seahawks head coach. But I'm telling you, the vibes would be immaculate. They really would. Nobody has fun like Coach Pete. I've worked with coaches that have learned from Coach Carroll. He is... An awesome, awesome, phenomenal human being. And I think something that the Niners could use in the mental sense, because he is such a a progressive, cutting-edge guy when it comes to the mental side of the game. And I could devote a whole podcast to what I'm talking about there in, in, in a deeper sense. But maybe what this Niners defense needs is a fresh perspective, is... The energy of Coach Carroll, maybe that's something they need. Maybe that's something that can get them over the hump in a sense. And the hump being is a year after they've lost the Super Bowl. How do they get back to the Super Bowl? You got to have a defensive coordinator who brings good energy. With that being said, that'll do it for today's show. I'm your host, Adam Kadura, for the Keysar podcast, signing off.